0: Hello, everyone.
1: Hi, everybody. (laughs) I'm Kayla. And I'm Kristen.
0: And welcome to Black Chew Crime. If this is your first time here at the show, welcome and hello. We love you all. Hi, guys. How are you? (laughs) I'm so excited because not only is today our 50th episode, but it's also... February 2nd as of recording this meaning mm-hmm. it's Black History Month like
1: what are you talking about woo, 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 woo. which literally mm-hmm. I usually mm-hmm. could care less mm-hmm. about I'm just being frank and honest just but honest. for some reason this year feels like I'm gonna revel in this month I'm gonna learn uh-huh. some things every day and it's just gonna be fun I'm gonna revel in my blackness so happy Black History Month everybody Happy
0: Black History Month. Get out of my way on the sidewalk. It's Black History Month. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, I'm really excited to cover this case today. It's pretty fucking wild, if I do say so myself. And if you're not on Patreon, you might as well just, you know, hang it up. Just kidding. You might as well just join because today is the perfect day to get on and see this video episode because it's a lot going on and it's kind of confusing. So, you know, following along visually will help you a lot. It's necessary, y'all. Almost necessary. If you're a visual learner,
1: it's necessary.
0: Yeah, correct. Correct. All right. Are you ready to go?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Let's get started. Now, I know we've all, in one way or another, heard of the phrase, snitches get stitches. And even though we've all probably said it once or twice to someone, there are those that don't just say it, they live by it. Join us as we discuss the senseless, gruesome, and preventable murder of Keith Barnes. Mm. Okay, Keith. Kristen, it was preventable. And we're going to jail this week. This week, we're going to be in j- prison to be exact. Okay. Okay.
1: Ah! <laughs> Gross. I don't want to go to it.
0: prison. I love it. Kristen, get it together. We all know. We all know. Okay, so before we get started jumping into all of this and all of that, what do you have for us, Kristen, in yeah. regards to black history? Like, what do you have? Okay. I Usually you
1: go through the story and then you give me a little time, but okay, we'll do it early.
0: I want you now. I want the info right now. Okay, I'm coming. Ew. <laughs> Ew. Um. <laughs> We're already okay. starting. Kristen, listen. Get it together, bitch. Kayla, <laughs> you get it together. Like, I'm sick of okay. you. Yeah, I'd be cutting up. Okay. Now,
1: you guys, this is kind of a, this segment, Black History segment, is going to be like an ode to Black History Month. So let's just get straight into it.
0: Yes.
1: Um, it's giving me life right now. So today we're going to talk about a distinguished lady named Mary Ellen Pleasant. Now, mm. for those of you who do not know Mary Ellen Pleasant, she was born in August of 1814, eh, August baby, period. Um, right. but she was a Leo. And she claimed she was born free as a free, um, person, freed black person in Philly. Mm. But others claim that she was born into slavery, either somewhere in Georgia or Virginia now there were rumors she had a lot of rumors about her you guys i don't know if she was one of those good publicity bad publicity it's just publicity (laughs) period type of people but there was a lot of different things said about her one of the things that was said about her is she was a daughter of a voodoo priestess amongst many other speculative stories about her being um Slave born into slavery to this really wealthy family in Virginia, Mm -hmm. her being from the Caribbean's like just all these different stories. So we don't really know much about her life in the beginning, but what we do know is she became an indentured servant from as early as ages six or 11 years old to a Nantucket, Uh. Massachusetts shopkeeper mary at this point started learning how to run a business she mm-hmm. also learned about the abolitionist movement because the shopkeepers they were diehard abolitionists which period. kind of is a great thing like i would yeah. back then i would want to be a servant to an abolitionist period other than anybody else yeah, absolutely so later in life mary got married to a wealthy free black land owner named james jj J. smith Nice. Both her and her husband helped slaves make it to freedom via the Underground Railroad. And Ooh. they did this for a few years. Now, her hubby, James, JJ, um, mm-hmm. he was actually abusive to her. It didn't say what type of abuse, but I'm not surprised. It
0: doesn't and, matter which type.
1: Yeah, um, I'm not surprised either way. Yeah. He died soon after they got married. I think they said about four years after they got married, he died. And mm-hmm. she inherited an estate worth tens of thousands of dollars. Period. Mm-hmm. What year was this? It doesn't say. They just said four years <laughs> after they got married and then they got no, married. No, no, no. Like what year did, uh, Mary,
0: what, what, was this like 1800s? Yes. Early she 19- was born in 1815. Okay. So okay.
1: this is like, Early to mid, well, she got married mid 1800s. They say around mm-hmm. the 1840s she was married. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: So she nice chunk of change,
1: right? For the 1800s, tens of thousands is probably like millions of dollars. Yeah. After JJ died, she headed to San Francisco, San Fran, and <laughs> there she cooked and she served rich white folks, and eventually started her own boarding house. At her boarding house, she trained black people to be servants and ended up getting them jobs or placements in different Mm -hmm. wealthy people's houses. She also taught black people how to succeed, carry themselves, be a little bit more financially adept. She taught them all these things. She also learned how to invest herself from being around all these wealthy, rich white folks. And Mm -hmm. she had accumulated a small fortune from stocks, real estates and several of the businesses that she had owned. It made yeah. her one of San Fran's major entrepreneurs. This is a black woman killing wow. it in the late 1800s, having thousands of dollars. Like, how have I never heard of her? How have I never heard of her? That's what I'm saying. Like, what the heck? She was investing and all that. They're actually claiming that Mary Ellen Pleasant was the first self made millionaire. Far preceding the time of Madam C.J. Walker. At her peak, Mary's net worth was estimated to be $30 million. Oh, shit. Like, are you joking
0: me? That is so dope. That's what we call
1: a don,
0: okay? That is so fucking dope.
1: Pleasant was a heavy civil rights activist as well. She um, also took on the financial responsibilities or the financial burdens of different civil lawsuits. She was part of the underground Railroad. she had a small fortune. it was I don't want to get into how JJ died because I don't know how he died. yeah, yeah. Um, it
0: doesn't matter it's giving Babbage
1: it's giving period. even she if be in the history books even if she has some skeletons in her closet. okay as we all do. But unfortunately, Mary did not have an amazing latter portion of her life like her early years were. Mm. She was involved in one lawsuit involving a marital dispute between a woman and a senator from Nevada, which she lost that case. Mm. And the death of Mary's financial partner, Thomas Bell, threw her affairs into turmoil. Basically, Thomas Bell's wife... Somehow got the gall to basically ask for all of Mary's assets, Mm -hmm. claiming that they belong to Thomas Bell. So she got into it with her. And journalists got a hold of this and ended up branding Mary Mammy Pleasant. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm seeing why people are saying, oh, calling somebody your mammy is not a good thing. Yes, Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. journalists was branding her as Mammy Pleasant and accused her of having something to do with Thomas's death. They even went as far as to say that Mary had voodoo or voodoo wow. spells, put on mm-hmm. Thomas's entire household. They did this because of the rumor that she was the daughter of a voodoo priestess, but also because of her relationship with a known New Orleans voodoo queen named Mar- Marie Laveau. Mm. Okay. So, long story short, Mary ended up losing her fortune, and she mm-hmm. died destitute in 1904.
0: <laughs> that is horrible was well who were these people who were these people were they caucasian people
1: thomas bell i don't know i didn't see mm-hmm. him i tried looking up a picture um but they brought up a lot of different thomas bells so i don't know <laughs> if he was white i don't know any of that but mm-hmm. i do know that mary pleasant was a light-skinned black woman who mm-hmm. could often have passed as white Okay. Yeah. But either way, like, the fact that her story was that grandiose and then she dies poor. Yeah. I'm like, (laughs)
0: how the heck did that happen? (laughs) Yeah. Well, we were on a high with the story and now we're on a very low low. So, (laughs) thank (laughs) you, sister, for that trip down Black History Lane. (laughs) No problem. So instead of covering the background of a killer or even like the victim for the beginning of this episode, we are going to start with a little bit of background regarding our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., if you guys don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're based in America. We have listeners everywhere. Mm -hmm. So first off, if you don't know, D.C. is not a state. So if you go to D.C. and let's say you get arrested for something like a robbery, they'll take you to jail. But once you're convicted of that robbery, they don't send you to a prison in D.C. because they don't have any. They send you to a federal prison. Okay. state prison versus federal prison is very, very different. Yeah, it sounds like it. I'm literally imagining Rikers. (laughs) Yeah. And there's, you know, they're shutting Rikers down by 2023, I think, or something like that, or 25, something like that. So where are they going to put all the folks
1: in Rikers?
0: They'll figure it out. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. So after DC became the murder capital of America during like the crack epidemic, authorities realized they just didn't have anywhere to lock all of these people up. So in 1997, Congress passed the National Capital Revitalization and Self-Government Improvement Act. Good Lord. And a part of that act author, a part of that act authorized convicted felons from DC to be sent to one of 122 federal prisons in the country. Literally any of them. So let's say you grew up in DC your entire life, commit a crime, get sent to prison, maybe just for three years, you could end up in fucking Alaska, bitch. Wow. Maybe not Alaska, but you could. <laughs> yeah. So anywhere. Crazy. Mind you, there are about 2,000 state prisons in the United States right now. So, obviously I know there's a difference between state and federal you know, governments, but they could have worked together in this sense. There's like at least, I think, at least like three state prisons in Virginia alone, which is right next to D.C. So, they could have worked something out, but... True. But you know
1: how states are. States are stingy. (laughs) And the federal government's annoying.
0: Yeah. They're like, it's like your dad like sunning you your entire life and you're just over it and mm-hmm. trying to get f- as far away as possible right that part
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. great analogy oh thank you sister
0: so because they can't work together the federal systems were flooded with inmates and this also meant that convicted inmates from dc would run into each other during like their shuffle around the federal system And for most, the best way to get through it was just to get closer. So that's when the D.C. chain gang started to pop up everywhere. Mm, Okay. Okay, follow me. The biggest D.C. gang to arise was called the D.C. Blacks. They were created in the 60s and 70s and were known for their, like, extreme violence. They just weren't to be fucking messed with. But... The Aryan Brotherhood decided to mess with them. They were actually like huge rivals at the time during the 80s and the 90s. And they would literally just like ping pong murders, just murder each other. It was disgusting and violent for a lot of that time. But still, the D.C. Blacks were nothing to play with. Their members were dispersed nationwide, which made their influence and power even more noticeable. And what was their mecca? A federal prison in Texas they called Bloody Beaumont. Now, remember that name. Remember that. Remember that. Okay. And just one day after he arrived to Bloody Beaumont, Keith Barnes would take his last breath. Just one day.
1: Dang. Like, he didn't even, like, wash his clothes. Like, didn't (laughs) even get comfortable in his little cell yet. And he's gone.
0: You barely had breakfast and lunch, sister. Wow. Yeah.
1: Kayla, I'm obsessed with this story already. Hurry up.
0: Okay. (laughs) It's not a story. It really
1: happened. Yeah, but it's somebody's story. Yeah. It's Keith's
0: story. You better correct me. (laughs) It all started on April 11th, 1996, when 17-year-old Keith Barnes, 17-year-old James Rat Carpenter, 20-year-old Jimmy Jimbo Purcell, and 18-year-old Theo Mitchell decided to go to the apartment of a man named Israel dog jones in southwest dc okay a lot of dogs a lot of names that's what i said you're just gonna have to follow me dog was a known drug dealer in the area and since they thought obviously drug dealer equals money they planned to rob him so jimbo kicked in dog's door but no one was there at the time so rat told them go find him literally go find him And it was easy for them because they knew where he hung out all the time. He was kind of like that predictable type of guy. Mm -hmm. So they walked up to Dog while he was with his sister and they just said, relax, nothing's going to happen. We just want to talk to him. He even let one of Israel or Dog's friends come with him. So it was like, okay, you know, he can watch him. He can take care of him. It's fine.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So they got in the car, dropped off Dog's friend and forced Dog to come back with them at gunpoint. Here we go. Well, here we go. Once they returned to Dog's apartment where Rat was waiting, Rat took him to the bedroom and pointed a gun at him and told him, you know, give me the money. Where's the fucking money?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And this, this really freaked Keith out because remember, Keith is here. Keith didn't go with him to go kidnap Dog, but he was with Rat. You know, he was there a part of the robbery. Right. So at that point, he said, this is turning into something else. I don't feel comfortable anymore. And he decided to dip out. So oh, while he dipped. Yeah, Keith left. Keith left. And while he was walking out, he heard the gunshot that ended up killing Dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. What a perfect time to walk out of a murder that you didn't even
0: know was going to end up being one. Right. Right. Good thing he w- walked out, you know, morally, I guess, but legally, just telling you right now, he's done. Didn't for. fucking matter. Mm-hmm. There you go. So I'm not sure what led to the police figuring out they needed to talk to Keith or he was involved, but they went to Keith's house looking for answers about dog's murder. And with urging from his family, he confessed and told them everything. He also said he would cooperate with them and testify against rat. So, uh-oh. You know, mm-hmm. And not at this point against rat, rat, you know, don't rat on rat. And rat is the one that was holding the gun, remember when he walked out. So assuming. That's the one that was still holding it when the gunshot went off. He's the killer. Right. And word on the street was that Rat was also involved with other shootings in the city, you know, at the time. So he's just a menace and probably just needs to get off the streets right now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now we all know that agreeing to share information with authorities about an individual or individuals involved in a crime is considered snitching. Okay? Yep. Ratting. It- People don't like it. They don't like it. So agreeing to cooperate with the government was a huge risk for Keith. And he understood that he was taking a huge risk. Mm -hmm. According to the detective on the case, quote, Keith knew he was putting his life on the line when he confessed and testified against the others. However, he and the prosecuting attorney and detectives felt that he would get a break for all that he had done and was sacrificing. End quote.
1: Which They don't care about you, (laughs) Keith. No, they just no. want their guy and you are expendable
0: absolutely like the first one to open their mouth you think they get the best deal and that's just not really the case
1: and all even the if time they do, you know it's still a crappy deal overall yeah
0: yeah yeah you well you shouldn't have been there that's what i would say
1: you shouldn't <laughs> have had your ass up in there i feel anyway. bad for keith but like mm-hmm. you said he shouldn't have been there
0: I feel bad for him. He's 17. You know, he didn't pull a trigger. He wasn't even a part of the kidnapping. He was just there thinking that they were going to take the money and they were probably going to go do something fun. Yeah. You know, something like that. And there were times that Keith wanted to change his mind. He was receiving threatening letters from Rat because Rat is locked down at this point. (laughs) You know, he's in jail. And he was receiving letters trying to dissuade him from snitching. In one of these letters, he wrote, quote, anger. I don't get mad. I get even. I can't say I'd be angry, but I do live for revenge. Oh, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, like he's—you know—it seems like he's—he ja- was jacking himself off while he was writing that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it, like, it like it seems like it seems like a hail mary, but like in a way that's like. Bitch, I'm coming for you. Like, this is the last (laughs) thing I can do to make sure you don't snitch on me. But if you snitch on me, just
0: know it's up and it's stuck. And it's fucking stuck. In the third letter he wrote to Keith, he said, quote, If I lose the case, you're going to have enemies you didn't even know or you didn't even do nothing to. End quote. So he's really trying to, you know, stick the fear of something into Keith. And it didn't work. It didn't work. Keith still decided to testify, and it really was on par, I think, for the prosecution, because of the prosecution, because they told him, hey, trust us, don't worry, we're going to keep you safe, he's not going to hurt you.
1: Like, at that point, if I was Keith, I would have been like, y'all are lying, like, I don't trust y'all as much, no. as far as I can throw y'all,
0: no. but
1: if this is something I'm willing to die for, then I'll do it, type thing. Because
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he, I guess he just wanted to do what was right at that right. point. Mm-hmm. So Keith ended up testifying and his testimony sealed the deal for the prosecution's win. Rat was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. I'm not really sure what happened to the other men. I don't even have pictures of the other men, which is strange because they are, you know, they were adults. They were 18. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But Keith pled guilty to second degree murder in exchange for his testimony. And that agreement suggested that he receive about five years in jail, maybe okay. less. Okay. but That didn't happen. A D.C. judge ignored the plea agreement and sentenced Barnes to 17 years in prison.
1: But you see what I'm saying? Like, you cannot trust the government to do anything on your behalf. No. <laughs> At this point,
0: no. <laughs> like,
1: once you're labeled as a criminal, you mm-hmm. basically have no rights. Like, you have about two rights everything else is (laughs) to eat and to sleep and to shit like everything else (laughs) is up for debate
0: yeah yeah is a privilege at that point it's 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 really fucking rough the prosecution was even outraged at this they were like this is not what was supposed to happen because like we've already said keith didn't even pull the fucking trigger he wasn't even physically there you know seeing the whatever whatever he wasn't As involved as 17 years, you know, as deserving of 17 years.
1: And he was 17 years old. Like, you're basically saying for as long as you've been on this earth, you're now going to be in prison, all for hanging with the wrong crowd?
0: Exactly. Exactly. Plus, his testimony was one of the biggest reasons they were even able to convict Rat so it the whole thing is just fucked up. The prosecuting attorney filed two separate motions for reconsideration of Keith's sentencing, but the judge denied both of them without even scheduling a damn hearing, like without even <laughs> seeing or listening you know to their argument. No mercy, nope Keith was there was a a tiny bit of mercy. He was granted eligibility for parole, so there was a chance that he didn't have to spend the entire time you know in prison.
1: Well, that's the least the judge could do.
0: The homicide detective assigned to the case contacted a reporter and said, quote, Keith by all means committed murder when he conspired to rob the person who was killed. He was a participant, but Keith Barnes took responsibility for his actions and his being a part of the whole crime. Barnes also confessed to what he did and his testimony made the case against two of the three other conspirators. Conspirators, Yeah. Of of course, he had a debt to pay for his involvement in the murder, but he was essential in putting in jail two other persons who were just as or more culpable in that murder than he, which is like, duh, yeah, way more culpable. They stayed. The ca- they one pulled the trigger. What are we talking about? The case could not have been made without his cooperation and honest remorse for what he was a part of, end quote. So even the people that arrested this man are like, give this man a damn break. For goodness sakes. I
1: have no <sighs> words. I'm I'm utterly like I've never felt so sad about something that someone should not have done. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Like, yeah. Like he shouldn't have been there. Yes, we know. He was gonna mm-hmm. rob them. Yes, we know. But yet mm-hmm. I feel bad for him.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a kid though. He's like 17, you know. He fucked up. He fucked up royally and just The fact that we know that this ends with his death is just really fucked up. I think it just makes it all worse. Oh, and while Rat was awaiting trial for dog's murder, he was also charged in the stabbing death of a 19-year-old inmate named Quan Levante Harris, who was also awaiting trial for a murder charge. (laughs)
1: So, like, Rat knows the game. Like, Rat's a a part of the game before he even went to prison. Like, he knows what it is. He has connections. He wasn't lying to Keith when he said, you're going to have problems with people you
0: don't even know. Like, there will be people that come for you, you know? These are the consequences that I warned you about, but (laughs) you still decided to go ahead with it, you know? It's really scary.
1: Was Rat a part of a gang at that time?
0: Yeah, he was a part of the D.C. crew. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rat was tried for that case as well and was acquitted after he claimed self-defense. So, you know, he's he beat a murder charge. That's fucking crazy.
1: <laughs> beat a murder charge while he was in prison. Awaiting for another murder another charge. Murder
0: charge. <laughs> Foolishness. Mm-hmm. So now Keith is being bounced around the federal prison system from the D.C. jail to Orange County, Virginia, to Coleman, Florida, all by 2003. And this whole time, Keith is trying to get his sentence reduced and himself removed from the federal custody as soon as possible. Because remember, we talked about all of these inmates and the D.C. connections and stuff like that. Hello. Keith
1: is not a fool. He knows what's up.
0: He knows what's coming because he's been told several times. And it doesn't matter where they transfer him. He still gets harassed and threatened by all of the inmates that are affiliated, you know, with the D.C. crew or the D.C. gangs. Keith was in such fear of his life that he started writing letters to anyone he could to try to help him. He was writing to prison workers, attorneys, and he even wrote to a congresswoman. So like at this point, he's super desperate because no one's listening to him and he's facing being put in general population, which is the last place an informant or someone that's worked with the government or a snitch
1: should be last place. Like, are you joking me? Like the people that said, we're going to protect you. We're going to protect you. Right. Are nowhere to be found.
0: Kristen in the wind, shooting the shit, not giving a damn about Keith at all. At all. So if you're on Patreon, you can see his handwritten letters right now. He wrote that his concerns were continuously falling on deaf ears and he was in dire need of some outside intervention. Something that unfortunately would never come.
1: Oh my goodness. Um, oh, Keith. Kayla, he looks like he's like literally his bottom lip is huge. He looks like he sucks on it at night because he's scared. <laughs>
0: He does look like he is just young and a baby, and, and he's
1: just a kid
0: is dealing with some shit that he he just isn't way over his fucking head.
1: And you mean to tell me the judge looked at this boy and was like seventeen years, bang. seventeen
0: years? Like, yeah. wow! No, despite compassion. the despite the plea agreement, <laughs> you know, in two thousand five, and in the process of being transferred again. This time, he was at a facility in Atlanta, the same facility that Rat was at, okay? You're joking. Kristen, am I taking hey, look, a piss? who cares I'm
1: about not. Keith? Nobody cares about Keith.
0: Well, his family, Next, literally next sen- sentence, Keith's family and their spokesman were vocally upset about this because this whole time, his family has been trying to get him to a safe place, you know, and trying to get his sentence reduced as well fortunately keith was being kept in isolation while rat was in general population but it seems like you know in prison if you want to get to someone you can get to them so that doesn't give me too much solace that he's in you know fucking isolation
1: yeah because the prison systems are a part of the problem they are a part of the system
0: they suck yep they suck their spokesman also revealed that keith was attacked while incarcerated in coleman florida where his arm was pulled out of his socket according to the bureau of prisons quote on august 23rd 2003 barnes was assaulted by another inmate the medical report indicates that barnes received abrasions and scratches end quote so i'm like i just i just don't fucking trust you i don't trust you i feel like you probably got his ass rocked and you know and ab- scratches that's Abrasions meaning two broken ribs, a black (laughs) in the eye, a knot on his forehead. Scratches meaning stab wounds, puncture wounds. Like, this is just not, this is not okay. But still, even after all that, nothing was done to help Keith and his next step from Atlanta would be bloody Beaumont.
1: Doggone it.
0: Dog on it. The last thing I want to mention that the detective said is quote, Barnes helped get a much more dangerous person off the streets. The same person he testified against and who tracked his movement all these years while in prison. This person was able to get word through the prison system that kept that Keith was coming to Texas and to get the DC guy there to carry out the murder. End quote. Like
1: who does rat think he is one, two. How this is almost like a political campaign. Like, how are you getting word from here and there and everywhere? And you're locked up,
0: Kristen. They say jail mail is—I don't know—the fastest, the best, bitch. Um, um,
1: the most efficient piece of transportation I've ever seen. <laughs> how
0: Literally. do you even know
1: that Keith's going to Beaumont? girl people Beats other the people hell out are of me. snitching be the people hell out are of me. talking about keith's business
0: all up in his business so yeah that's what keith is walking into he's been tracked they meant they said it he's been tracked this whole fucking time and it's it's about to get really really bad chris <laughs> you're an emotional wreck i'm just so sad <laughs> Kale, are you joking? Look at him. I know he's a baby. Like he's a baby. He's a baby. Kale, he looks like he's so sad. Yeah, he's scared. He didn't, he didn't mean to do this. He feels remorseful. His family has his back like he's a kid. He's not, I don't think he was raised as one of these other guys. Unfortunately, yeah. I don't have much information about that, but just to know that his family cared enough to get him a spokesman, like someone that was speaking on behalf of the family and were still by his side throughout all this just showed that he had a support system yeah. and they shouldn't have fucking done this to him.
1: And I don't think people understand how hard it is to detach yourself um, from a culture that you live in that is always yeah. doing these type of things, robbing, ganging, murdering, it's hard <laughs> to stay away from that when, yeah, the people you go to high school with that you grew up with in elementary school are now doing these yeah. things,
0: yeah, yeah, you're just going to school, and this is what's happening it's in your face, it's almost impossible to avoid. In January of 2005, Keith wrote in a letter to the assistant U.S. attorney that if he wasn't removed from the Federal Bureau of Prison Systems, he was going to die. Just plain as day. You know, I've been trying to fucking get someone to care. You guys don't seem to get it. But on May 6, 2005, Keith was transferred to Beaumont Federal Prison in Texas. So while he was going through intake, he told a case manager that he'd previously testified on multiple co-defendants regarding D.C. murder trials and that he was concerned about his, how safe he'd actually be at their facility. But despite his concerns, they still assigned him a cell in general fucking population.
1: <sighs> it's just like, how many times do we have to be disappointed by the same system in order for someone to change it? Seems like a lifetime.
0: It seems like many lifetimes. The very next morning, Keith would be found dead on the top of his bunk in his cell. According to the autopsy, he suffered 106 stab wounds, the majority of which were to his heart, his left lung, and his liver. These injuries suggested that he was held down while someone else stabbed him. Just, Just fucking disgusting.
1: like a thief in the night. like. Yeah.
0: Straight up got his ass, probably was his cellie's. I'm sorry, I said the very next morning, no, it was that evening. it was during dinner time, so oh, okay, yeah, 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 so still, so, so he got there on May seventh and then on May eighth during dinner time, around dinner time, that's when he was murdered,
1: and he was found in his cell. Correct.
0: If you're on Patreon, you'll see footage of the inside of the cell when they found him. And he was found on top of the the top bunk of the the fucking cell. Wow.
1: Mm-hmm. Rest mm-hmm. in peace, Keith. You didn't Rest deserve in peace.
0: that. No, definitely did not. On May 8th, prison officials conducted mass interviews of inmates to try to flush out the killers or at the very least get some useful information. During one of their interviews, they, Kristen rolled the fuck out (laughs) of her eyes.
1: That made me so mad. You don't care. Like, why are you You acting like you care? You don't.
0: During one of their interviews, they came across a man named Charles Sherman, and Charles would end up spilling y'all his heart and soul. Told everything.
1: What?
0: Mm hmm. Get into it. Charles told officials that Marwan Mosley, Michael but Cody and Joseph Ibram were all involved in Keith's murder. Well, including himself. Charles was there. Don't get it twisted. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Charles feels <laughs> the only reason why Charles really came forward was because he feared for his life. Because after the murders, he was crying. And he knows that they saw him crying. So he feels like they're going to see him, obviously, as weak and target him next. Yes. Which is probably like one plus one equals two.
1: Yes. Like, <laughs> do you think this is a gang of brothers who love each other and will walk each other through this, the tough shit?
0: No. 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 They're These eliminating threats. Absolutely. Period. Absolutely. Charles agrees to testify against Ebron and Cody because, unfortunately, Mosley would never see his day in court. In 2006, Mosley killed himself in his cell. Wow. Yeah, Mosley's the bald one. No. Mosley's the one that stabbed him 106 times. And he killed himself. Reportedly.
1: Kayla, what does that even mean? That I means Like, I wonder why he killed himself. Like, I wonder what he was going through. If he really
0: killed himself, okay, if he really killed himself, You never know when you're facing the death penalty because that's totally a death penalty case. Mm -hmm. You could be like, fuck that. Like, I have no chance of getting out. And I don't know if Mosley was already facing a life sentence or whatever. I know he had a personal vendetta against all snitches because he was snitched on and that's why he ended up in prison. And so did Ebron. Ibrin was snitched on and that's why he was in prison as well. So I see. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. On August 15th, 2007, a grand jury indicted Ebron, Bakodi and Sherman on murder charges. The government planned to seek the death penalty against Ebron. He was the one that was in the cell with Mosley and holding Keith Dow while Mosley murdered him. Okay. On March ninth, 2008, Ebron's trial would begin. Okay. So at the trial, this is what Charles Sherman had to say about what happened that day. Cause I told you guys some information, but we don't really know how they figured out who Keith was, what really led up to all of this. So according to Charles, this is what happened. In 2005, Charles was serving a sentence for armed robberies he'd committed in Washington, DC and was being housed in the Delta Bravo unit of Beaumont. So usually when someone new comes in, they're like, Hey, where are you from? And that's kind of how you figure out who you're going to click up with. Mm-hmm. When Keith got to Beaumont, Charles, Bacody and Mosley approached him and asked him what his name was. And Keith gave them like a fake name. He gave him one that sounded more Arabic. And okay. I think that was Keith's Keith's attempt at preparing to get in with the, you know, the Muslims in prison and kind of get like their protection. So the three left him and went back to a cell and was talking about him because Mosley said he felt that Keith was lying about who he really was and that he was really the guy that snitched on some quote, good dudes at DC jail. So he's, okay. he, you know, word has got around. Obviously Mosley actually even claimed that him and Rat were actual friends. So he's taking it more personal. You feel me? Okay. So Mosley told, Well, he tasked Bacody with finding out Keith's real name, which he did because somehow he tricked Keith into telling him it. And once they found out who Keith really was, the three walked to the yard to talk to Tone, who was the leader of the DC crew at Beaumont at the time. And Mosley was basically like, Tone, this guy snitched on my guy, like, you know, my friend, I'm about to take his ass out. Mm -hmm. But Tone wasn't on that shit. He was like, you know, killing him is unnecessary. All they need to do really is just beat him up and then force him to request segregation. Right. But Mo- but Mosley said no. Actually, he said, "Quote, no, we're going to kill him. I'm going to kill him."
1: First mm-hmm. of all, you're talking to your leader like this. Like, oh, do you think you are? <laughs> what is the point of having a leader if you can just tell him, "No, this is what I'm going to do"? <laughs> like, what is the point?
0: And and. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he was just a psychotic person and the leader was like, look, I don't want this fucking issues. Do whatever. I don't.
1: Yeah. Like maybe they known Mosley to be just a crazy person on the brink Unstable. of. Yeah. Losing yeah. his life at any
0: point. Correct. Um. So, <laughs> so like, whatever. Right. So Mosley, Bacody, and Charles left the yard and started planning how they were going to kill Keith. Mosley then recruited a man named Joseph Ebron. Ebron? I don't care. Ebran, Let's just say Ebran To help with the killing, to which Ebran agreed. And so they all basically spent the rest of that evening talking about the whole thing.
1: <laughs> I believe that people who are going to spend life in prison or even on trial for life should mm-hmm. not be held in the same area that lesser crimes or people with lesser crimes are in. I just... I just, just think about it. The people that are, are up for life, they don't
0: care anymore
1: or they, they have a higher a possibility of being like, I'm not getting out. So it is what it is.
0: Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It's a dangerous situation. It's a dangerous situation. Prison is dangerous. Don't go. Don't go. That's all. That's all I can say. <laughs> Do <laughs> Don't not fucking pass go. Though. Do not collect $200.
1: And if you made it out of prison and you watch our show, like DM us and let us know like what
0: your experience was like. I would love to just hear your story. Period. Mosley even instructed them to put shirts over their faces so the surveillance cameras couldn't di- like differentiate who they were. They're really thinking about this. Plot. Once absolutely. Once dinner was called, Ibron went to the Delta Bravo cell block where Bacody, Mosley, and Charles were already waiting. And that's where Keith was housed as well. Just it doesn't even seem like they tried to keep him away from dangerous people at all. I know there's a bunch of cell blocks in there. Whatever. We've already talked care. about how pissed off we are right. about that, but it right. is what it is. All three at some point entered the cell, but Bacody and Charles would spend most of their time on the outside, like, acting as a lookout. And if you're on Patreon, you're seeing the surveillance video footage right now. Charles said he was able to see into Keith's cell from where they were standing on the stairs, and he saw Ebran holding Keith in a headlock while Mosley's arms were, quote, motioning. So I, that's what, you know, according to Charles. Mm-hmm. After a few minutes, the cell door opened and Charles walked over to close it. And when he did, he saw Mosley and Ebran lifting Keith up and putting him on the top bunk. And then a few minutes after that, Ebran and Mosley walked out of Keith's cell and went about their business. Wow. Like nothing happened. Just stabbed a man. You know how long that probably took? That's not a quick situation. Where the yeah. hell are the guards? Who's watching these surveillance cameras that they were just so easily able to get access to?
1: You know, and then felt, mostly felt comfortable enough to take a sweet time when he got tired. Yeah. And,
0: and then continue
1: break. about his business.
0: I told Kristen that off camera or off recording guy. Sorry. <laughs> she knows that part that I didn't say it yet, but oh, yeah, <laughs> he no, was, sorry. he was even getting tired during the attack and would take a break and then start stabbing him again. When it's, it's like, I'm sure that. he was already gone after a few, you know, it's evil. So that was according to Charles, who is working with the prosecution. This is according to Ebran, the one actually accused of holding Keith down. He said that it was true that they, he was approached by Sherman and Bacody, and Mosey asked if he knew who Rat was. And Ebran actually did because at one point there were cellmates when Ebran was locked up in Atlanta. Wow. Such a small world. Such right.
1: A small world. <laughs> this federal prison, like, everybody is, like, knowing everybody. They've mm-hmm. all come across each other. No wonder the gang is so close.
0: Yep. Mosey asked him if he ever heard Rat mention how Barnes snitched on him. And he said, yeah, but only heard that the two men were, quote, working it out, which is just complete bullshit. And that's probably knowing
1: rat was sending him mad letters talking yeah i was saying knowing how
0: knowing how rat is he was probably running his mouth about how he was pissed off at keith mosley told him about his plan to murder keith but ibram was like you know i don't really i don't want to do that that's not smart we can just scare him into segregation but mosley felt like that was too easy so when he said that, I, when, I, when I read that he said that, I was like, okay, you can clearly tell that Mosley told him that that's what Tone said. And now he's trying to use that as his excuse to be like, I didn't want to do this. I just said scare him to segregation. Right. It's like, no, bitch, you were immediately on... On for the ride when you heard about who we all were avenging. And you're Stopped corny for
1: even saying corny as hell. Because Juan, who are you to be giving Mosley any type of advice? Just scare him into segregation. No, right. you were the second person he came to, which means he knows you're about it.
0: Yeah, about it, about it. But at 5 p.m., Ebran entered the Delta cell block. And he was in the Alpha cell block. So he wasn't even supposed to be over there. And he had his face already covered and all. So you mean to tell me? Okay, sir. Okay. And then he claimed that he was only there because he planned, Kristen, trip the fuck off this, to walk Keith to the lieutenant's office so he could request to be put in segregation. I'm only here to walk him there to make sure he gets there safely. Corn ball. Capital Who C. ever B? going
1: to believe
0: that? I don't know, Kristen. I don't know. He said he asked Mosley where Keith's cell was and Mosley was like, yeah, I'm going to walk with you guys. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with you and I'm going to walk with you guys. We're going to make sure he gets there safe. (laughs) This is according to fucking Ebron on the stand by, by the way, like he's on the stand talking this hot shit on his own behalf.
1: It's the <laughs> foolishness for me. For me.
0: <laughs> so when they got to Keith's cell, Mosley convinced Keith to tell the truth about his identity and labeled him a snitch. Keith said he had protection from the Muslims, which made Ibran like want to just leave the cell because I think Ibram was associated with the Muslims, too. And he was like after that, he didn't want any parts of it. But Mosley just punched Keith on the side of the head, which made him fall onto the bottom bunk. And then he saw Mosley straddle Keith, meaning get on top of him and just started stabbing him. So essentially, Ebran did not help Mosley. And even when Mosley asked him to help him hold him down, Ebron said, I didn't help him. We don't believe that. So. I don't believe that for a damn minute, because why are you even still in the cell if you see this happening, if you want no parts? You could have easily walked out.
1: No, let's go further back. <laughs> why would you walk with Mosley to Keith's cell knowing that Mosley just approached you talking about, let's get this man. Exactly. So if you're quote unquote walking him to the people to say request for segregation, why would you mm-hmm. walk with his potential killer to make sure that Keith got safe? That makes zero sense. You're almost bringing trouble to his door.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're, he doesn't make any sense. And this is all. starting to get embarrassing. I can't believe he actually said this on the stand and his def- defense team allowed it.
1: Okay. I'd be wondering, like, on one hand, I can't stand some judges, but on the other hand, I'd be wondering what some of them <laughs> be looking like when yeah. someone just sitting there bold faced lying, bold faced like, lying
0: straight to their face. Ugh. He said after Mosley threatened him for not helping with the murder, he agreed to help him place Keith's body on the top bunk. So that was the only reason. That Sherman, which is Charles, saw him with the body, you know, being hoisted up. Bullshit. Right. Bullshit. So the jury got to see the video footage from the day Keith died and even saw where a who acted as a lookout, gave Ebran and Mosley a thumbs up. Like, no one's watching. You're good to go. Or I've paid off the guards. They'll be gone for 20 minutes. Do your fucking thing. That part. And Dr. Tommy Brown testified that Keith's wounds were consistent with being held down while being stabbed from the front. So, in other words, it took two people, you know, yeah. to do this to him. So, here we go, the defense. They have no fucking chance. <laughs> they had a few witnesses they decided to present, though. And guess who was the first one? Who, Cody. No, Rat. <gasps> Out of all people. They pulled Rat out of his cell for this. <laughs> they pulled Rat out of Atlanta because he's housed in Atlanta right now to testify.
1: So what? Like, what do you, what do you want him to say?
0: So he testified to his relationship with Ebran, So I guess they were cellmates and they did know each other and how he actually needed Keith to be alive to testify in a habeas petition he'd initiated on his own behalf. So he's basically saying, I didn't tell anybody to kill anybody i actually need keith in a later you know issue which is like bitch i'm not helping you if i was keith i'd be like i'm not fucking helping you
1: why would he help the person he just put in jail
0: no. i have no idea he could he keith could get subpoenaed like if it's that type of situation but you know still then a doctor named steve pulslidnick testified that quote Barnes could easily have been restrained by one party by their own body weight on top of him and having then delivered all of the wounds to him in the one focal area in the upper abdomen and left side of his chest, End quote. So saying it's easy, possible, whatever. They're Highly insane. unlikely.
1: Mosley's the only one that mm-hmm. had to, you know, he was the only one necessary to kill him. Ibram wasn't yep. necessary.
0: Yep, which is crazy because they're definitely pinning it all on a dead man and of course he has there's no way to, you know, contradict this except for Charles who has no reason to include Ebron in this in the first place. Why would he lie and say that he saw him having him in a headlock while Homeboy was stabbing him? So, doesn't make much sense. Mm-hmm. The jury started deliberating on April 30th, 2009, but came back to say that they were deadlocked. They were instructed to continue deliberating, but still couldn't agree. Quote, there is no way we can arrive at a unanimous decision. I don't believe any amount of further deliberation will achieve any movement. There's been no change since Friday morning. I can discuss this with you privately if you wish. End quote. So I think that was written by the foreman, you know, the head juror of the situation to the judge. And it was uncovered that there was one specific juror that was standing in the way of a guilty verdict. And her name was Brittany Johnson. She wrote a letter to the judge saying that her fellow jurors had cursed at her and that the situation had become very stressful for her. Ew, so I, I can't see yeah. her already. Yeah. <laughs> like, I also read I also read that her emotions got involved. So like her personal feelings were in the way of her being objective. So she was eventually removed they replaced her with an alternate and once they did after five hours of deliberation they came to a guilty verdict and would later sentence 30 year old joseph ibram to death wow
1: mm-hmm. wow mm-hmm. Like, and the thing is, for some people, that's going to make them feel better. For me, I just see it all as a crap show. Like, I see it all as just pathetic, sorry, why is the world like this? Why are black people killing other black people for the sake of what? Like, honor? Like, you think it's for honor? It's not. Mm -hmm. It's literally
0: just cost you your life. Yep. Cost you your life. For what? Ego and pride. Not worth it. It will never no. be worth it for me. No. When the jury read the verdict, Ebran just like flipped out. He started jumping up, cursing, and then he threw a water pitcher like in the direction of his attorney. <laughs> he didn't hit anyone, but he was aggressive. And he later apologized in like a handwritten letter that you can see if you're on Patreon. <laughs> Mind you, the whole time, Ebran's attorneys had been fighting for a mistrial But the judge was like, no, because all of this jury shenanigans and issues and stuff, it lasted for days, Mm -hmm. almost a full week, I think. So it was they were like, come on, you know, if these people can't come to a decision, stop trying to force them to come to one. Right. And the judge is like, shut up. Sit down. Yeah, Yeah. I got this. Mm -hmm. And this was the third murder Joseph Ebron had been convicted of in the last 15 years. Kristen, third murder. That they even have him on record for that he that they have him on record for let me tell you a little bit about joseph Ebrin. okay his mother abandoned him unfortunately when he was just six months old and his father was struggling with a heroin addiction Mm. mm -hmm, at the time and that was when he wasn't spending time in prison he grew up in southeast dc which was heavy on the violent side and by 15 years old joseph was spending most of his time locked up in in jail himself He committed his first murder at the age of 15 and his second by 17 in 1997. And that was only a few months after being released from a Colorado youth correctional facility for the first one. Just know like he didn't baby step into it. He full fledged belly flopped into that life. This is
1: he's probably thinking like this is the life like this is all this is what it is yeah you know and at least the gang if he wasn't a gang because i don't think we know officially if he's in the gang or i don't
0: i'm not for sure certain that he was a part of the gang but they were clearly affiliated close enough for mosley to come up to him and be like yo i'm about to do this do it right you know
1: right and that's probably the only sense of family he ever even knew
0: yeah absolutely At one of his murder trials, his own brother-in-law testified against him and it was said that there were audience members that were running their fingers across their throat in like an attempt to scare him. While they're in court, like while he's on the stand already testifying, they're still trying to intimidate him. In his closing argument, his defense attorney, which is Ebron's defense attorney, said, quote, ladies and gentlemen, there's been a fire burning in Joseph Ebron since he was 15 years old. A fire that's continued to burn throughout his adult life up to 2005, and I'd submit to you, it is still burning. End quote.
1: Mm. A fire straight from the pits of hell. I was gonna say, like, don't, because that almost sounded like a positive thing. Like, there's a fire burning. Like, he has. That's what I'm saying.
0: I don't don't like that. that. (laughs) Don't. There was ambiguity. Ambiguity. Right. Too much ambiguity in that (laughs) entire (laughs) thing. Yeah, I didn't like that. So rest in peace, Keith. I Rest in peace, Keith. I wish I knew more about your upbringing, like your life before all of this happened. You didn't even have much life to begin with. And he died so young. I think he was like 25, 26. Wow. So rest in
1: peace, Keith. You didn't deserve it. Yeah, you weren't in the right place at the right time. Whatever. Who is, you know, (laughs) but you didn't deserve to freaking die.
0: No, no, not to be murdered like that. Think about how long he was scared. He spent years scared. He spent years writing those doggone letters to someone to try to get them to help him. And wow. he spent from that moment, probably that scary ass day that, you know, he was involved with that kidnapping and murder. Yeah. He spent literally the rest of his life from that moment on scared as hell. In terror. Ugh. So yeah. That wasn't a listener requested case. It's one that I happened upon. I found it on a YouTube channel called Killer something. I will, co- I will include it in the, um, in the description of this Woo! Episode,
1: yeah. Well, that's yeah. our case, you guys.
0: That's our case, you guys. Let us know what you thought. You know what to do. Comment on our shit on Instagram at Black You Crime Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Really helps us out. All the day. Really helps us out. And before we go, as you already know, be, be safe. safe protect, protect your peace. Your peace and, and protect, protect your, your space. space. So, we, so don't we don't have to, have to cover, your cover your case. Your case. Period. Bye. Bye. You have a right to kill me. I have a right to do that. But you have no right to judge me.